You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, take your Bible, if you would, please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter number 18. And then also, if you'd like to put your finger in Jeremiah chapter 1, we'll read a few verses from both chapters, Jeremiah 18 and Jeremiah chapter number 1. It is good to be in church on Wednesday night, and I'm glad that you made it a point to be in church this evening. I tell you, the only thing better than church on Sunday is more of it on Wednesday. And I'm glad that you're here tonight, and it's been good already. It's good to have Rodney and Denise back again tonight. Thank you folks for coming. I appreciate that. That was exciting for me to watch you wave those Bibles too. That was a blessing. They got the witness too on Saturday, came Sunday night and received Christ and then back in church on Wednesday night. And uh, Denise called my wife's phone, I think, and left a message. I don't know if we're going to be able to make it or not. And then my wife called her back and said, well, we're coming. So anyway, I'm glad you guys are here. Keep doing that. You're batting a thousand. You know, I mean, you got to keep that average up, so I'll see you Sunday morning. But anyway, I'm glad that you're here. Jeremiah, chapter number 18, we'll read verse number 1 down through verse number 4. And then we'll read verse number 4 down through verse number 10 of Jeremiah, chapter number 1. And uh, i got to be honest with you, I'm a little bit excited about what God laid on my heart for this evening. God's been speaking to me about it. Um, the last several days as I've been studying. I'm praying God will use it to speak to your heart as well. If you're able to stand with me, would you stand just out of reverence for the Word of God? Jeremiah chapter number 18, verse number 1. The Bible says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. And in Jeremiah chapter 18, God is forming a nation with vision, with purpose, with design. God is shaping a people. Now the Bible says that this piece of clay becomes marred in the hand of the potter. And that marred situation is the situation that Jeremiah finds himself in when he was chosen to be a minister, a preacher, a prophet. In Jeremiah chapter 1, I want you to look with me in verse number 4. The Bible says, Jeremiah 1 verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Now, in Jeremiah chapter number 18, I made mention that God is forming a nation. And God is forming a nation that at the time we're going to read about in the book of Jeremiah is a fallen nation, a rebellious nation, a marred nation. In Jeremiah chapter 18, God is forming a nation. 
In Jeremiah chapter number 1, in verse number 5, I read that God not only formed a nation, but God is also here forming a man. He's forming a preacher. He's forming a prophet for that nation. Two distinct, unique, separate instances. Instances or works, we could say, of the potter destined on a providential path to collide with one another, one made for the other, and so forth. I got a lot of good words given to me for Jeremiah. Um, Uncle Chad gave me remorse. Let's see, Alvin gave me wrecked. That starts with a W. Of course, Pastor mentioned revival. But I'll tell you what God spoke to my heart about when I started to study. I couldn't get past the first chapter. And I read that phrase where God says, before I formed thee, in the belly I knew thee. And tonight I want to try to speak to all of our hearts, all the young people here in front of me and the adults alike, and speak on this thought, the word reason, or we could say purpose or cause. Every person in this place has been given life for a reason. You're here at this time in this place for a reason. For a little while, let's think on this thought. Lord, I pray for power to preach. I pray you would encourage the people here this evening, encourage our hearts about your will for our lives through the prophet Jeremiah and his example. I pray for your power now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When I began meditating on the book of Jeremiah for this message, several appropriate words came to my mind really quickly. To describe the book of Jeremiah, we could use several words, and they would all be good words and probably better words than the word that I want to use tonight. I thought about the word rebellion. I thought about the word refusal. I thought about the word rejection. I thought about the word resistance. I thought about these words return, restore, or the word pastor mentioned, the word revival. Now, any of those words could be used, and I would say, like I said a moment ago, some of those words are probably better than the word that I'm going to use tonight. But I do know this. This is the exact word that God laid on my heart for us this evening. You see, my goal with the help of God is to try to encourage us, to challenge us, and if need be, it is to enlist us for the cause of our generation. Now, there's many wonderful statements found in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a rather lengthy book, so some here tonight, maybe you've not read the entirety of it, but all of us know some phrases that are found in this book. By way of introduction, phrases like this, Call unto me, and I'll answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. What about this phrase where God makes the statement, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I think about this statement when God goes to his people and says, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, run as the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. And there's many other very familiar phrases found in this book. Now, when we come to Jeremiah's generation, we step into a sad spiritual scene. Revival has come, and revival has gone. Judah's gone from being the apple of God's eye to being just plain rotten because of their sin and rebellion. In chapter number two, I believe, we find a good synopsis or an overview of the condition of Judah at the period in which uh, Jeremiah was to prophesy. You see, Judah had experienced a bit of reform under King Josiah. He was a man who had a heart for God. 
And during his reign, the people also seemed to have an inclination toward God. But after Josiah drifted off the scene, it seems like the spiritual desire of the people of God seemed to diminish or even die out. They followed the ceremonial law, but they also mingled it with the worship of idols. They had form, but no fire. They had a shell, but no substance. They were religious, but didn't have much of a relationship. Now, I was reading in chapter 2, and just to set the scene, I outlined it as I went, and I noticed Israel or Judah starts off as affectionate in verse 2 of chapter 2. The Bible says, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. God is saying, there was a day, Judah, there was a day, house of Israel, when you loved me. I mean, you loved me like a newlywed would love her husband. You were infatuated with me. Your walk was in reverence. Your prayers were fervent. Your worship was sincere. I was the desire of your heart. Now, can I say there was probably a time in America when we could say our nation was a nation like that. It seems like there was a day just from studying history when at least the average American had a little bit of a heart toward God. We had prayer in our public schools. We put our hand on our breast and prayed one nation under God. On Sundays, the stores were closed and people were filling church pews. And there was a day when we could say, like Judah, America was affectionate toward God. But we find what happens later on, they drift and they acquiesce. In verse number five, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain. Here's what happened. Israel and Judah got so comfortable with the blessings of God that they began to forsake the blesser for his blessings. They wanted the blessings, but not the one who had blessed them. They wanted the goodness of God, but not the God of the goodness. What happens is they get cold toward God. They had their needs met. Food was on the table. Things were good. And they got their eyes off of God, and their heart and affection was set upon temporal things. They became used to's. Now, I preach to a lot of used to kind of people, and I preach in a lot of used to kind of churches. We used to have revival. We used to have that kind of preaching. We used to have our altars filled. We used to run buses. We used to win souls. We used to have some kind of a standard, but now they've gone from loving the Lord and clinging to the Lord and walking with the Lord to being lukewarm toward the Lord. Not only do we see Israel affection and then acquiescing or going back, but after that they apostatize. And that's always what happens in verse number 9. We'll read it. Wherefore I will yet plead, he says, with you saith the Lord, and with your children. Rather, verse 8, let's read. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after these things that do not profit. Here's what's happened. Israel's gone from being blessed to forsaking the blesser. And now they're not just lukewarm, now they're beginning to preach false doctrine and practice the worship 
of idols. They replaced the God of heaven with false gods fashioned by the hands of man. Can I say that's always what happens when somebody backslides on God. If they don't get right in a hurry, they will end up in apostasy before long. That's where we are in America today. There was a day when America had great revivals and great awakenings and churches were full and being built by the hundreds. Not long after that, we got content and complacent and began to get cold toward God. And now you look in America and we have churches so-called that would ordain perverts to preach the Bible, try to tell Christians it's okay to drink alcohol. Everybody all right? I mean, they would just advocate for abortion. And that's where we are in America today. That is the situation. That is the climate that Jeremiah finds himself thrown into. He is tossed right into the furnace, if you will, of a fallen nation. Now, one of the most distinct things about Jeremiah's preaching is the use of allegories. Jeremiah is sort of like an object lesson preacher. You study this book and you'll find he uses many physical things to present a deeper spiritual truth. For example, he uses a linen girdle. He uses an earthen bottle. He uses a yoke about his neck. He uses a book and throws it into the Euphrates River and there are others. But probably the most well-known allegory that Jeremiah uses is this story of the potter's house. Now, in Jeremiah 18 that we read together, our reading takes us on a journey that Jeremiah took Judah on many years ago. He takes us to the house of the potter. Now, I want you to envision this scene with me. I want you to see the potter sitting there. He stooped over his instruments. In front of him is the potter's wheel, his foot pressing upon a pedal, the wheel spinning in its circular path upon that wheel, is a lump of clay. That lump of clay is without form. It's void, if you will. It has no shape. The potter takes his hands and with skill and with tender care, he begins to fashion that lump of clay. You see, he has a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. He's got a vision for that lump of clay. That potter is molding a people. He's molding a nation. He's molding a generation, if you will. Now, the Bible says that that lump of clay becomes Marred, And that's the situation that we find Judah in in our text. But can I say that is not the only time that the potter was at work upon his wheel. You see, there was a moment, a time, if you will, before time had even started when the potter was fashioning another lump of clay upon his divine wheel. The potter's there hunched over his instrument, and that wheel is likewise turning in its circular path upon that wheel is a lump of clay. That lump of clay is not as big, maybe, as the lump of clay of chapter 18, but it's just as significant to the potter. The potter takes those hands and with precision begins to mold and begins to make that lump of clay. He begins to fashion it into what he purposes it to be. He's not molding a nation. He's not molding a generation. He's not molding a, a people, but he's molding a man. The potter is making a preacher by the name of Jeremiah. He's making him for a purpose. He's making him for a cause. Before Jeremiah was even known to man, he was known to God. Before his feet would ever touch down upon the earth, Jeremiah was on the very heart of God. And with as much forethought and as much purpose and as much planning as God fashioned Israel and God shaped Judah, so God is forming and fashioning and making this man by the name of Jeremiah. 
In verse number five, I want to read it again. The Bible said, before I formed thee, in the belly I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You see, God was not caught off guard by Judah's backsliding and rebellion. And let me say, God has never been, nor can he be, ever caught off guard with anything. God understood his people would be prone to wander. God understood that his people would live by sight more than walking by faith. He understood there would come a day when they would drift from God, but God had already prepared a remedy. God had an answer. God had something to come and fill that need in that day in the life of his chosen people. He made sure his rebellious nation would not be without a voice crying out in righteousness. Now, these are two distinct acts of the same potter. They're separated by, 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 by eons in eternity. But can I say these two situations, these two scenes are set on a providential course. Well, they'll collide together. The one is made for the other. The one is made for the other. God fashioned a nation that would fall, but thank God he fashioned a man for that nation in that time, for that generation to proclaim his word to his people people. God's people might leave their love for him, but nothing can separate God's love for his people. And that is proven by the fact that God calls a man by the name of Jeremiah. I believe in every generation. God has had his messengers. He'll never leave his people without an avenue through which to hear his voice. Jeremiah lived through the reformation of Josiah. He'd seen the grace of God upon his nation that came because they had a godly man in leadership. But now Josiah's gone, and it seems like the people have forsaken the Lord. Jeremiah must stand, and he'll stand alone. There are two things that characterize his life, weeping and loneliness. When I think about the ministry of Jeremiah, his 40-some years of ministry, I don't think about popularity. I don't think about prestige. I don't think about acceptance. I don't think about applause, but I think about tears and sorrow and burden. Jeremiah was a watchman who had warned his nation of judgment coming and watched as his nation deafened their ears and judgment came. He's a lot like Jesus, just like Christ. Jeremiah will mourn over Jerusalem. He'll prophesy the destruction of the temple. He'll reach out to a people that reject him and will receive him not. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and ultimately he'll be martyred by those that he longed to save. Jonah saw Nineveh repent under his preaching, but Jeremiah watches as they ignore his preaching. Elijah got to see his nation get right as he preached on Mount Carmel, but Jeremiah's gonna preach and the people will mock him as he preaches the word of God. Can I say it's a hard day that he's serving him. His message is very unpopular. His peers wanna be blessed, but they don't wanna get right with God. They want favor, but they don't wanna live holy. Jeremiah's voice cries out as though it were the only voice to be heard that famine is coming, pestilence is coming, destruction is coming. Picture Jeremiah. He's like a lonely lighthouse. The last beacon burning bright for truth in his generation. Jeremiah would walk about with a yoke upon his neck. He'd be mocked and ignored. He'd be falsely accused and thrown in prison. He'd be beaten. He'd be pushed aside. He'd be thrown into a miry pit until the mire came up around his neck. He'd be led forth in chains and spend nights and morning over a people who refused his message. Jeremiah is not as eloquent as Isaiah, 
But that's because Jeremiah had no cause for eloquence. Every word was choked with tears and weighed down with this heavy burden. Now, a casual observer would look at this scene and say, boy, God got that wrong. God, why would you choose to put that man in that place at that time amongst those people in that kind of a climate? Maybe that was the wrong dispensation. Maybe that was the wrong era. Maybe that was the wrong city. Maybe he wasn't the right man. Maybe that wasn't the right message. If you and I were to just be a casual observer, it looks like God made a big mistake in dropping Jeremiah down in Jerusalem at that time. I mean, he didn't have many crowds. He didn't get many folks at all saved. He didn't have much of a following. It looks like God got it wrong. Now you study this out and you find that Jeremiah prophesied during the reign of probably five different kings. I was talking to pastor and said every day you have to think about it. Those kings made policy decisions. They were all working on government projects. They were trying to legislate their way toward revival. They wanted to fix the economy and, and keep poverty off the scene. They wanted to give everybody free health care. And when Jeremiah preached, they just sort of pushed him to the side. But here we are thousands of years later, and I don't know one policy decision they made. But we're still talking about the preaching of Jeremiah. You see, I think God got it wrong. Can I say, I believe God got it exactly right. You see, I think God wanted a man like this for a time like that. God wanted a tender man for a time just like that. God wanted a tearful man for a time just like that. God wanted a man to express his love for his people for a time just like that. You see, there was a reason that God gave Jeremiah life. There was a reason that God formed him in the womb. There was a reason that God ordained him to preach. It's like God is saying here in verse 5, Jeremiah, I just want you to know that your life is not without cause. Your life is not without purpose. You're a needed individual. You're not preaching for them. You're not preaching for applause. You're not serving for accolades. They might ignore your message, but Jeremiah, I'm for you. I'm behind you. I'm with you. And I've ordained you for such a time as this. You see, like a spiritual Nazarite, Jeremiah had been set aside, ordained to this cause. He was formed for that purpose. He was created for that reason. He was a sanctified vessel for the use of the master. That means he was set aside for God. And can I say without question, Jeremiah had been set aside for the glory of God. Paul made the statement. He said, I want to apprehend that for which also I've been apprehended of Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, I tell you what I want to do before I die. I want to find out why God saved me. I want to know the reason that I've been given life. I want to know the cause for my existence. I want to know what my purpose is on earth. I don't want to drift from the, uh, from the uh, delivery room to the funeral home and never know what the will of God is. He said, I want to lay hold on whatever it is God wants for my life. And can I say, that's what Jeremiah is. He's laying hold on that for which he was apprehended of the Lord. He had a cause. He had a reason to exist. When I think about Jeremiah, we could throw out these other words, but I like the word reason. You see, I think it's the same God that formed Jeremiah. He was the same God that created Moses for Egypt and David for the throne and Joshua for Canaan. He's the same God that created Peter to preach on Pentecost and Paul to pin the scripture. This is the same God that created Esther for such a time as this and Jonah for Nineveh and Nehemiah to build a wall and for Ezra to build the temple. This is the 
the same God that made Noah to build an ark and Joseph to rule in Egypt and Abraham the father, a great nation. Before Jeremiah took a breath, he was on the heart of God. Before he'd taken a step, he was in the mind of God. Before the world knew Jeremiah, God knew Jeremiah. That's the same God who made Daniel for Babylon. That's the same God who made Titus for Creed. The same God that made Joshua for Canaan land. The same God that made John the Baptist for the wilderness. The same God that made Fanny Crosby to pin hymns. The same God that made George Whitfield to preach the awakening. The same God that made William Carey to father world missions. That's the same God that fashioned and formed and created and molded Jeremiah for a reason in the stillness of eternity. The hammer of God rang out as it formed a man on the anvil of his perfect will and purpose. The same God that fashioned the stars and gave them all unique shape and knew their number and gave them all a name and fixed them in their place in the galaxies. The same God that knows every sparrow in every tree, every hair on every head. The same God that bottles our tears and holds our prayers. That God fashioned a man by the name of Jeremiah. He gave him a heart that was tender to love a stiff-necked people. He gave him lungs that could be filled with air to preach the message of God. He gave him a tongue to carry forth the word. He gave him eyes that could be a springhead for rivers of tears. His feet were fashioned to walk alone. His backbone was forged to stand against opposition. You see, he wasn't thrown together piecemeal. He wasn't thrown together on a whim. God doesn't work on uh-ohs or my bad or that's a mistake. God doesn't work on wild hairs. And God fashioned Jeremiah for a reason. He was only 20 years old, by the way. He was only about your age when he started in the ministry. When he was called of God to do this, he was just a young man. Jeremiah stood in the good days of Josiah, but God had created him to stand when he'd have to stand alone. Can I say, if you're going to serve God in our generation, you and I are going to have to have a little Jeremiah inside of us have a backbone that can stand feet that'll walk alone a heart that'll hurt for hurting people eyes that'll shed tears over the condition of our generation we're not here to bide time we're not here to punch a time clock we're not here to rust out to the rapture we're not here to keep a pew warm God has a will a plan a purpose for every person in this building tonight you've been created for a reason in chapter 17 they say that the sin of Israel was written with an iron pen or the point of a diamond. And what they're saying is the stain of sin had sunk deep into the fabric of that nation. And that's exactly why God needed a Jeremiah to a people that slidden from apathy into apostasy. In a generation that didn't want old time religion or even a reminder that God was real. In a day when they were worshiping trees. Wow. Protecting whales and killing babies. Say amen right there. Jeremiah was called into the ministry. I want to weep for Jeremiah. I want to mourn for him. As I read this book the last few days, I felt horrible for Jeremiah. As Brother Pooster and I were out soul winning, I said, we're so spoiled. I mean, we got people quit the ministry over a negative Facebook post. Hello? Nobody said good preaching. I think I'm going to quit the ministry. It's not my fault if they don't know good preaching. Say amen right there. <laughs> but Jeremiah is serving in it. I read about cast into a miry pit, the mire up around his neck. I want to say, Jeremiah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry nobody got saved. And I'm sorry nobody followed you. 
I'm sorry nobody listened to you. If I could change it, I'd like to. But I think if Jeremiah could come back from heaven to us right now, he'd say, don't you weep for me. It wasn't always pleasant, and it wasn't always fun, and there were days I'd rather been doing something else. But now with my heavenly perspective and my race run and knowing what God had in store for me, can I say that I wouldn't have changed a thing and I'd do it all over again? And can I say here this evening, there are a lot of words. I feel like preaching. There's a lot of words that can describe to us the book of Jeremiah. We could have used the word revival. We could have used the word remorse. We could have used all them but wrecked. We could have used all those other good words. But the word that God stirred my heart about was that word reason because I knew I'd be preaching to people tonight on a Wednesday night. You've had a hard day at work and you're faithful foe. And I want you to know you're here for more than just drifting through this thing. There's a cause for your existence. There's a purpose for your life. You're here for for a reason this evening. I believe the God of then is the God of today. And I'm just convinced the same God that fashioned Jeremiah, he knew you before you were. He knew you before you were. He knew you before you were. He knew you before you ever were. He knew you before you ever existed. And you and you and you and you and God wanted a you for this generation. And can I say it's time you and I, like Jeremiah, just fill our post, make up the heads, stand in the gap. You're here for a reason. Let me give you a couple words. I've got to quit. When I think about Jeremiah, I think about divine purpose. The most miserable people I know in Christianity are those who don't lay hold of their purpose. Make your bus route your purpose. You're here for a reason. Make your Sunday school class your purpose. You're here for a reason. Make your children your purpose. You're here for a reason. Make your spouse your purpose, your cause. Why don't you make this generation your purpose? I care less what your highest score is on your video game. Man, we need some Jeremiah's. Listen, Rolf used to say, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight, not a game. God suits every saved person for some special service. And tonight, listen, you need to realize you're here for more than just to drift through the time. We're here to make a difference for eternity. Second thing, and I have scripture for all this, but for the sake of time, we're just going to go. Divine provision, verse 6 through 7. God says, Jeremiah, don't worry. You're not equipped in and of yourself, but that's okay. I'll enable you to do what I've called you to do. The reason most folks miss the will of God is this. They say they want to do great things for God until that thing is too great for them. Jeremiah understood what God wanted him to do is too great for Jeremiah. That's why he understood he needed God. Can I say God will enable you to do what God wants you to do? The will of God comes with the provision of God. The next thing I want you to understand is there's a divine presence. The greatest provision, verse 8 and 9, the greatest provision God could ever give you and I is himself. And then lastly, this spoke to my heart in verse number 10. There's a divine period. He says, see, I have this day. He said, Jeremiah, this is your moment. This is your time. This is your space. This is your now. This is your moment to do what I want you to do with your life. I don't have forever. I might not live as long as, as Pastor Treber has. I don't know. All I know is I have right now. This is our moment. People say, don't you wish you were born back then? Not really. I kind of like it right now. Amen. I like indoor bathrooms, color television, air conditioning. 
and Subway. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's good right now. If God would have wanted me in the 50s, I'd have been born then. My grandpa's a woodcarver. I've got some things in my office that he carved. And we'd walk into his house, and he'd be sitting in his recliner. And as he was sitting there, he'd have just a lump of wood on his lap and his tools, and he'd be fashioning that wood. It just looked like a lump of wood to us. And we'd say, Papa, what is that? It just looked like a block of wood. And he'd say, that's going to be... He'd say, that's going to be a set of earrings. He'd say, that's going to be a little figurine of some... And he, he saw it before it was. And then he sat there and worked on it and fashioned it just how he had it in his mind. Every person in here matters enough to God that God took time to fashion you just like you. You're not here, and you're no lesser than anybody else. You're not here by accident. You're here by appointment. And God's got a purpose for every person in this place tonight. And I'll tell you what, take a church and take it from being... You know, a, a great church, even greater church, is that everybody in this place will realize their reason and then give it all you got for God while we have time to do it. Jeremiah, I guess we could use revival, refusal, rejection. But when you think about Jeremiah, I want you to think God had him in that place for a purpose. God's got you here in this place at this point in time for a purpose. It's a bad day. It's a hard day. Hey, that's why God wanted you here now, to make a difference. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight. I need, need your help, Lord. Lord, I want to do your will. I want to be in it. I pray for the folks of our church, Lord. I pray that you'd stir our hearts about this truth that, Lord, you formed us, you fashioned us, you knew us before we were. Help us to find your will, to do your will, to fulfill your will. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.